Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 85 with Lori Boucher of Baltimore Home Cook. You know, people have been asking me through the years to teach them how to make pasta, my husband's colleagues, friends. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do this and maybe design a couple of unique pasta classes and see if anyone will hire me. I thought, oh, I'm in culinary school. It gives me a little bit of legitimacy. So I sort of spent a few months and put together some unique classes and I went door to door. I just, you know, pestered people. And before I knew it, I was hired at the chef shop in Baltimore, Baltimore chef shop, uh, kitchen studio, cooking school, and a few other places. And so that's sort of And I realized very quickly, they didn't really care about culinary school. They just cared if I could make pasta and teach it to others successfully. So that's sort of how I got into the teaching part of it. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 10 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. On the show this week, I speak with Lori Boucher. Lori's a self-described attorney turned pastapreneur and is the woman behind the Instagram account, Baltimore Home Cook. We discuss how she got into pasta making and her pasta-related activities, which include selling pasta boards and hard-to-find Sardinian pasta cutters. She also does pasta making classes, and we talk about her culinary school experience, some of her favorite culinary resources, and the new Arcobaleno pasta extruder that she recently picked up. And once again, I recently started a Patreon to help support the Chefs Without Restaurants organization and podcast. So if you love what I'm doing here, please check it out. You can go to patreon.com forward slash chefs without restaurants, or the link is in the show notes. I really appreciate the support. And now on with the show. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Hey, Lori, how's it going? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. I love I love pasta and uh, seeing all the interesting things you're doing online. It uh, gets me hungry every time I see your pictures, which you post almost every single day, I think. Well, I'm not cooking every single day. Sometimes I'll do a few productions and then I sort of post them throughout the week. Um, if I made pasta every single day, I'd probably have an uprising around here. Two or three times a week is enough for the family. <laughs> yeah, I need to do more of that and get better at kind of like batching out a day and just having like one or two production days and stretching out content for the next week or so. So uh, for most of our listeners out there, uh, I'll give you a very, I'll give them a very brief intro. So you describe yourself as a lawyer turned pastapreneur, and you have the Instagram, which is Baltimore Home Cook, which is a really exciting one. I love watching and seeing all the cool stuff you're doing. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your your background. So like growing up, were you into food and eating? Did you have a, a culture of food in your household? And, and then how did you get into pasta? Okay, so um, I grew up in Italian American household. So my mother's side is from Sicily. 
Uh, my dad's side is from Calabria. I'm third generation. And, you know, we didn't grow up making homemade pasta, but uh, we probably had it two to three times a week. Um, every Sunday was macaroni meatball day uh, for lunch. And then for dinner was pizza. So I didn't really grow up doing that. I, you know, my background, I'm an attorney by profession. I've been practicing uh, since 1992. And my food journey sort of started about five years ago with a little more intensity. Um, we had some parents that had fallen ill, um, some caretaking responsibilities. And so trying to practice law and keeping up a litigation uh, law firm was just proving difficult. So at that time, I found that I sort of changed my practice from litigation to mediation, which I still do now um, very infrequently. But at the time, I found I had a little more time on my hands. I have two teenagers. They're kind of, you know, do their thing. So I decided to pursue culinary school. It was one of my dreams from a long time ago. Um, I've always been a home cook, but I just felt like, oh, I think I need to have a little more um, training and just, you know, why not? So I took my first course trying to figure out how am I going to balance all of this? And, um, and it went really great. I found that when I was in school, I just forgot about everything else. It was such a great escape. And so it was great. And then how I got into pasta a little more, I guess, professionally was uh, about three or four years ago, I started just making pasta for fun. Actually, my first meal that I ever made for my husband was a spinach infused fettuccine. So I've kind of been doing the color thing a little bit, um, or the infusion, I should say, for a long time. That was probably 20 years ago. Um, so I've always had sort of fun doing it. And at the time I started uh, culinary school is when I started my Instagram. And really, it was just a, a way for me to chronicle my journey. And actually, when I look back at some of my earlier posts, I just kind of shudder, <laughs> like, you know, because it's been quite a journey. But I think my very first post four years ago was a Gardinelli, which is a hand rolled shape similar to a penne. Uh, it's different because it has ridges and um, it has a seam and etc. So uh, I started, I, I remember at one point, I sort of fell into a lot of these pasta accounts. And I just start, I, one of them in per particular was Linda Nicholson, who does Salty Seattle. She's the queen of color on uh, Instagram. So I would see her things and I would start, you know, trying them out. And at one point we just started talking and she told me she was going to be writing a book. And so I, I sort of informally offered to do some recipe testing and looking at her recipes. And actually when her book was published, I had no idea, but she actually acknowledged me in her book, which was so thrilling for me because I, I admire and respect her. She is the queen of all the colorful pasta with natural herbs and superfoods, but it was very, very, um, uh, just very exciting for me. So at the time I thought, you know, people have been asking me through the years to teach them how to make pasta, my husband's colleagues, friends. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do this and maybe design a couple of unique pasta classes and see if anyone will hire me. I thought, oh, I'm in culinary school, it gives me a little bit of legitimacy. So I sort of spent a few months and put together some unique classes and I went door to door. I just, you know, pestered people. And before I knew it, I was hired at the chef shop in Baltimore, Baltimore chef shop, uh, kitchen studio, cooking school, and a few other places. And so that's sort of 
and I realized very quickly, they didn't really care about culinary school. They just cared if I could make pasta and teach it to others successfully. So that's sort of how I got into the teaching part of it. Of course, I finished culinary school because it was a challenge. I actually just earned my culinary arts degree in December. Of, Congratulations. Um, 2020. Yeah. So, so that's the, the, I guess, a long-winded answer of how I got into pasta. <laughs> What's funny, I don't think anyone usually goes to culinary school thinking that it would be less hectic. You know, like I think of the food industry being, re- being really hard and you're like, oh, well, things were hectic. So I went to culinary school. It's like, whoa. Well, I, I didn't know what to expect going to culinary school. I didn't, you know, I was in law school so long ago and it was interesting because I, you know, I'm very interested in doing well academically. I've always been that sort of annoying student, you know, sitting in the front row, raising my hands and my kids were sort of laughing because I became so overwhelmed with the homework, but I was on a mission to do well in school. So it was very hectic from the school standpoint. Um, I'm attending, or I'm actually still currently attending because I'm going to do my baking and pastry degree. Uh, I'm at Anne Arundel Community College, HCAT Institute, and it was a pretty challenging course. I mean, there were some semesters where, um, again, I had mentioned we had some sick parents and we had moved them here. So, you know, one semester, I think I sat in an assisted living doing homework with my father-in-law. So it was kind of a mess, but uh, again, it was my outlet. And I knew if I put that aside, I would just become completely encompassed with everything else. So it, it was a great um, relief and break for me from everything else. So I'm glad I did it. I think I found you through Christine at the Kitchen Studio, which is here in oh. Frederick, where I live. Uh, okay. And I, I taught a class. I did a Southern cooking dinner party with her a while ago. Oh. So she's really the first person who was really I want to say nice to me when I moved to town. Like I moved to Frederick in 2007, wasn't from here, tried networking with a bunch of chefs and um, didn't really connect with any of the restaurant chefs or people in town. But Christine was this person who I saw out and about all the time. I mean, you know, her personality is she's fantastic and, and bubbly and excited about food and was just really the first person who really wanted to connect on a professional level in town. And yeah, I really enjoyed doing my my cooking class there. I think she she has a really interesting thing going, and it'll be um, interesting to see how it transitions, you know, closing her in-person shop and then moving into the virtual. I know you did some, have done some virtual stuff during COVID, correct? I did. In fact, I'm teaching a class for her uh, in Kinchin Studio Cooks. So I had the same exact experience with her. When I reached out to her, she immediately got back to me, which you don't often find in this industry. It's... Um, you know, I think I had to sort of change my mindset where, you know, if I call someone or if I say I'm going to call someone, I call them. If I say I'm going to email them, I so she was the first person that reached out. She actually traveled to my house. I said, if you want to see what I'm doing other than these photos I'm sending you. So she came with um, one of her employees and we had the best time. And she was so enthusiastic and so supportive. And I just, I'm such a big fan of hers. I think she's wonderful. And I know she's going to transition into something. I mean, unfortunately, her business was, uh, you know, affected by COVID, but I'm thrilled that she's still doing some things online. And I'm uh, grateful that she asked me to continue teaching for her uh, via Zoom. And I'm hoping when things resume, I'd love to work with her again. Because like you said, she's so much fun. She's so bubbly. She's, she is a glasses half full type person. And that's the type of person I am. There is always a silver lining. And she sees it. So we we get along pretty well. Yeah. So you're planning on doing like potentially in-person classes once we can go back to doing that? That's something you have your uh, sight set on? 
Right. So for the past three years, I've been doing uh, in-person classes again at the chef shop, um, at Kitchen Studio Cooking School. And then actually right before COVID, I started, um, and, and this was sort of like, I'm always thinking, what is my next thing going to be? So a friend of mine um, who is sort of at the same station of life and she really loves pasta, she got into it. And I said, you know, how do you feel about maybe working with me and trying to do some pasta classes locally? So again, I took a couple of months, put this program together, got sort of a traveling pasta kitchen and started hitting up local breweries. So we had uh, these ravioli classes going. I had one at full tilt. It was successful. I brought all the equipment. Um, it was great. And then we had a whole schedule lined up for about two months all over Baltimore and then COVID. So uh, everything is sort of gathering a little bit of dust in my closet, but I hope that once COVID is over, I can resume doing those community events because they're just a lot of fun. I mean, I have to always be careful uh, when I'm, especially if I'm hired to do something, because honestly, I would probably do it for free. And that's the message to me that I'm really where I'm supposed to be. I mean, I, I would, I would do it for free. And actually I did over COVID. I don't know if you saw, but I sort of started this um, pasta project where I was feeling very helpless. Um, you know, I couldn't go to school. School was shut down. I couldn't do my events. I couldn't teach. So I ended up just offering uh, Southern handmade pasta for free to anyone that wanted it. And before I knew it, I had so many people responding. Um, I went to the restaurant store. I got a couple back, like 50 pound bags of flour, semolina flour. I had to break out my cavatelli machine. So my, you know, thought that I'd be sitting here, you know, listening to my Louis Prima hand rolling pasta quickly became a little bit of a business. So I had to think about, you know, cooking instructions and storing instructions and getting a schedule together and delivery and pickup. And honest to God, for six weeks, I probably spent six hours a day making and giving away pasta. And it really got me through COVID. So um, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people turned to bread, but it sounds like pasta was definitely your thing. I, I do have a starter. I did did do that as well. <laughs> have to admit, that was a big challenge. <laughs> One of the things I'm really interested in are the flavors. You know, when you go to a store and buy commercial pasta, it seems like it's all the same. It's like one dough, but 800 shapes. But yours, you know, it's like, I just, I think your latest post is it's a harissa. Uh, you had one that's like a natto, like getting all these interesting flavors in there, which also give a vibrant color. But how hard is that to adapt a recipe? Like how much tinkering does it take once you start adding in purees and other things that aren't just water? It's, it's really not difficult at all. And again, um, you know, Linda came out with her book, Pasta Pretty Please, and she gives recipes on how to do really almost every color in the rainbow. So if anyone that's listening is interested, I would encourage in, in them getting that book. Um, but it's really no more than just uh, blending either a uh, fresh vegetable, herb, or superfood. And when I say superfood, I mean something like you know, activated charcoal, something that you're using in a culinary dose. I mean, nothing going crazy. And you blend it either with water or with egg. And whatever that puree color is, is pretty much what your pasta is going to be. Um, so, you know, there's different factors. If I'm trying to make a blue pasta, which I may later on today, um, I wouldn't want to mix that with egg because blue and yellow, you know, will not maintain the blue. So it, it's a lot of little trial and error, but um, dried powders are very accessible on Amazon and you really only need maybe a teaspoon or so 
um, add it into a regular dough recipe. So again, it's, it's not that hard to do. And then there's shapes. I think one of the other cool things is, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about your boards and your cutters, but you've also leaned on non-traditional kind of things to roll your pasta, which I think is interesting. What are some of your favorite uh, non-traditional, non-classic things to, to shape pasta on? So, um, you know, it goes back to when you talk about the shapes or the tools. So the shapes, I find Sardinian tools uh, Sardinian shapes, very beautiful. The ancient shapes that you don't really see a lot of. So um, I have this encyclopedia of pasta and I, you know, I read cookbooks like I do any type of book. And I kept coming across these beautiful shapes. So I, it was a deep dive into the internet. And so I like trying to make these different shapes. It's very hard to find recipes because some of them are passed down through families. So even in the encyclopedia of pasta, it will give you a list of ingredients, but it won't tell you um, the quantities or the measurements or anything like that. So when I started seeing the shapes, uh, that's sort of how I got into uh, the tools. So um, the very first tool that I saw that I had never seen before was this Sardinian brass cutter. And what it does is it will cut a very unique shape. So most people that make pasta, they know a straight cutter or a fluted cup cutter. So you just get that zigzag. So these tools were making these edges that were so unique and so beautiful. And so this was maybe about three years ago and I would see them on Instagram and I would reach out to people asking for information and I just was hitting a wall. No one wanted to share, you know, where they got it, how they got it. And it was really frustrating for me because I pretty much share anything. If someone asks me for a recipe, I send it. I try to show people how I'm doing things because it's just, you know, there's nothing proprietary about food in my opinion. So if I'm going to show you something that's beautiful or pretty, I, I want you to be able to replicate it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what it's about for me. It's kind of crazy with the tool. I couldn't find anything. So I thought, you know, I'm going to see what I can do. So I actually hired an engineer down at what was the foundry. It's a maker uh, space down in Baltimore. I think it's since closed and um, just with some photographs and, you know, we tried to, to get something that worked, but it wasn't really working. So eventually I decided I'm just going to, you know, figure this out. I spent a summer in Florence, Italy when I was in law school and I still have some friends there. So I reached out uh, to one friend in particular whose parents are from Sardinia and it was just the deepest dive into the internet where I finally found someone who is now sort of my liaison which with a bunch of artists that still make these tools. They're all handmade. I don't know who any of the artisans are. I don't know who makes them. Um, they don't really want me to know. So uh, the first time I made an order, I'm like, I know people are going to buy these. My husband thought I was absolutely crazy. And I said, the worst that's going to happen is I lose this initial investment, but I know people are, are going to be interested if they like pastry or pasta and they want to make it pretty or unique they're going to buy these things. So really it was, I, I've never spoken to any of these people. It was all Google translate, um, went to the bank, did a bank transfer first shipment came and I was thrilled. So then I had to set up an Etsy shop. That was definitely a hurdle. Um, so that's how I sort of got into my initial like tool addiction. So I have seven different styles that I sell on Etsy and, and I love it. So I've seen them sold 
other places online, again, with these deep dives, but um, it, they're really hard to come by. So I'm just glad that I have them. I've sold them all over the world. I've sold them to Japan, to Dubai. I sell everywhere and people buy them. So my concept was proven. <laughs> Thank God. That's crazy that it's so protected like that. You know, you. I mean, I guess they probably can't super mass produce them and just don't want to get into having everyone in the world requesting them. Well, it's the way it sounds, they're all handmade. And I think that um, the few people that I did reach out to, uh, you know, there's very, when it comes to pasta, there's people that are very traditional where I, you know, I, on occasion I've had someone reach out to me and say, you know, you're not from Sardinia. This is a shape that's native to us. You shouldn't be posting this. And, you know, I may, I do what makes me happy. So, uh, you know, my thing is if I can make a tool available so that other people can make something that's unique, why not? I mean, why protect it and hover over it and uh, be selfish with it? So I'm thrilled when people buy them. I'm thrilled when I see what they're making with them. So why not? And then you have the pasta boards too. Where are those coming from? So the pasta boards, <laughs> so everything's a little bit of a story. I'll try to keep them short. But uh, so I teach a Southern hand-formed pasta class, which is just semolina or a double ground, uh, semola remicinata, which is a double ground semolina and water-based dough. And so, I, you know, I do have a little bit of an addiction to pasta tools. So I collect different things like corzettis and gnocchi boards, uh, there's a few artisans on, online on Instagram that just have beautiful work, and I and I use them when I teach. But um, I also, when I'm teaching a class, whether it's in person or on Zoom, you know, not everyone is going to be like me. Most of my students are making pasta for the first time. They're not going to go buy a board from Japan for $100. You know, that's crazy. So I sort of have accumulated a bunch of household tools that people would be able to find in their kitchen and I show them how to make unique shapes just with what they may have. Um, and then if they get the pasta bug and they want to know where I get my stuff, I, I tell them. So um, one of the things I used to do was I would just do a DIY board using skewers or something like that. I would glue them on a board or tape the ends together and show people how you could get unique texture. And so one day I posted something using something that gave me a really unique texture. And I got so many questions about, you know, what were you using? What kind of board was that? I've never seen anything like that because most gnocchi boards are, are it's just the same pattern across. It's just ridges that you would roll on. And you can get different um, patterns if you roll straight on or at an angle or just, you know, 90 degrees different. Um, but this thing, I just sort of cobbled together myself. So I thought, okay, so I need to figure out how to make a product or get a product made uh, because I'm not going to be sitting here cutting and gluing skewers to boards. No one's going to buy those. So one of the artisans that I love working with is Bill Anderson. He's based in Oregon. He's a woodworker and he, um, his Instagram name is Wooden Essentials. And he and I have a great relationship. I have several of his um, just be beautiful boards and products that he's made. So I reached out to him. I said, I know it's kind of crazy, uh, but I have this pattern of a board. It's an idea. Would you be willing to maybe to try to do it. And I, I didn't think he would, but he did. He embraced it. So, you know, we had all these meetings back and forth and actually I have one right here so I can show you. So he did it. And each side has a different um, pattern on it. 
And he sent me a bunch of prototypes and I used them and I found the one that worked and replicated what I had put together. And, and that's how the board came about. So um, I call them my bulla boards. And I'll tell you this, because this is the biggest question. What is a bulla board? It's just my name, B-O-U. My last name is Boucher and L.A. Laurie. So it just kind of rolls off the map. So that's why it's called the bulla board. I love those. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I've and I've seen you do things like rolling pasta off. Do you use like uh, one side of like a, a grater, like a cheese grater type thing, or something? You know, something yes. like that to to do texture. You, I'll see these pictures of pasta with like the most interesting shape, and it's like, oh, you just rolled that off of like one side of a a box yep. grater or something. Oh yeah. So you know, so many like the Sardinian uh, gnocchi or malaratus you know, they typically use the inside of a cheese grater and you just would roll your pasta. You make your pasta dough, you roll it into snakes, you cut it into pieces, and then you're just using your thumb to roll it over. So again, this is a class that I am teaching via Zoom and and I love teaching it because there's so many unique, different shapes of pasta just using these things. So cheese graters, the bottom of a rocks glass, I use... Um, Oh my God, it's just so many different things. Usually when I do a class, I'll send a list to people and I'll say, look, you don't really need anything. Uh, but if you have a sushi mat, if you have you know, a cheese grater, if you have a zester, if you have anything that has some kind of texture on it, even a, um, a spoon, if it's got little holes in it or a strainer, I mean, really you can roll your pasta on almost anything. So typically in class, when I, I bring out my trays, our dough is resting and I show them all the things, people sort of disappear from the Zoom and they come back with all these things and, you know, they try it and they show everyone. So it's it's really fun. So actually my students have given me great ideas of things that I would never think to use. So, so it's, it's fun. Do you have a favorite shape to make? Uh, a favorite shape, probably the Sardinian gnocchi, the one that's small with the little bumps on it. I, I just love that. I just think it's, and it's very Zen making them. It takes a while. I would probably say that. And again, when I, when I'm do when I'm teaching class, every time I get to a different shape, I, I teach five different shapes. And then I have a whole list of other things if people are interested. Um, and I'll always say, as I start with each shape, uh, okay, this is the first shape we're going to do. It's one of my favorites. And then I'll get to the second shape and oh, we're going to do a Kapunti, one of my favorites. And I'm like, you know, I got to stop saying that because I love them all. It's like, you know, you can't pick a favorite child. <laughs> do you do sauces as well when you're teaching the pasta classes? So, um, not for the Zoom. Uh, we did do a simple sauce at uh, the chef shop. Uh, so when I was doing the Zoom classes with Chef Shop, I would actually go into the Chef Shop. It was just me and someone doing the technology. Um, when I was doing classes in person, I always had a couple of sauces. So I would have students make, I would ask them, do you want to make a meat sauce? Do you want to make a pesto? Do you want to make a red sauce? So I would give them some options. Um, but now doing the Zoom, 90 minutes seems to be about the time people can handle doing a class. So uh, I usually just end the class when we're finished making our pasta and then I'll give people suggestions. And if they want a simple sauce recipe, I just send it to them by email. So most of the um, Southern hand shapes can go with any type of sauce, whether it's just a butter or sage sauce or a red sauce or a pesto. I mean, you know, I'm yeah. not too traditional when it comes to like the traditional, like you should always have this type of pasta with this type of sauce. That's what I was asking, because I know traditionally a lot of them pair well together. I didn't know how much you stuck to that. 
So I'll tell people, so um, there's a, a shape, a, a trophier, which you make with the side of your hand. And it's a traditional shape from Liguria that you serve with a pesto and potatoes and green beans. And it's delicious. Um, so I'll tell people that. But honestly, I think for me, my, my pasta point of view is, you know, this is supposed to make you happy. You know, I'm not doing this to pay my kids college tuition. Most people out there aren't going to do it either. This is really just a way to bring people together. So if you make a patterned pasta and it's really beautiful, but you want to dump a red sauce all over it, go for it. I mean, <laughs> most of the patterned pasta doesn't take on the flavor of what you're adding. It's more for the color, um, unless you're doing like with the harissa, for instance, I put a whole lot of harissa in because I like the heat. If I used a little less, it would be a different color, but ultimately by the time you cook it, you don't really get any of those tastes coming through. You mentioned my least favorite shape of pasta ever, just because I cannot get that hand rolling technique down. I've tried it a number of times. Oh. I think over the course of 40 minutes, I got three singular pieces that came out perfect. I did a, so for Chefs Without Restaurants, we did a pop-up dinner like last summer and my buddy Tony, who also makes pasta at home and is not a chef, um, wanted to do like an eight course dinner in downtown DC and have four courses be handmade pasta. And he's my pasta guru. And uh, we started working on that and that's one of his favorites to make. And he wanted to make this sun gold tomato sauce for it. And he tried putting me on the duty of rolling it. And just like everyone, okay. he's like, no, no, like it's you got to push like this no you got to push like that and i just said i, I got to jump over to like a different pasta um and i eventually did most of the sauce work because the you know That's great. He, once you get into doing the pasta shapes and it's amazing i have a video on our instagram of him rolling it and he just gets in the zone and can bang him out and he does this roll and then like kind of flicks it off into a little pan and keeps going i hated it uh, one of these days i'm going to go back to it well, I think you just have to, it's the right time and the right place. So it, that's a very difficult shape. And it's actually one that I teach in the class and I show them the traditional way to, to make it with your hand, which, you know, if you put the time and the hours in, as soon as you get it, it's like riding a bike, your hand really doesn't forget it. So, so don't give up on that. But then I show them how to do it a little bit easier with a bench scraper um, you know, ridges, non-ridges, but it, it's, you know, I don't shy away from trying to show someone something that might be difficult because I know if they really want to work at it, they'll get it. I mean, I didn't just know how to do these things. There's still shapes that challenge me and I still have to practice even with a shape like that. If you don't practice it, you get a little rusty. So, uh, we should do a class when we're allowed to see each other. I'll show you how to do it. I'll get your rolling trophy. The same with like uh, Orchietti, like trying to get it like the right cup size and get it to like pop or invert or whatever that is. I've, I've taken a, a few pasta classes um, and I just got to keep working on that. It's It doesn't come naturally to me. Well, and see, that's another shape where I've seen it at least three different ways of making it. So, you know, either you're using a knife to to roll it um, and then inverting it over your thumb, whether you're simply making a cavatelli and flipping that, which I think is the easiest way to do it. Um, and then, of course, they have these women in Italy in the Bari region, which do it in the one motion, which um, I'm trying to think. Ben Fado on Instagram has managed it. Um, there's a few people that have done it, and it's it's incredible. These women will just, they're on pasta grannies. You can see them, they're doing it. it it's the B-A-R-I area. That's the method of making the orchetti. It's amazing. Their, their speed is incredible. One motion, the dome pops up. It has so much texture to it. I, I can't do it. It's one of my most frustrating shapes. So 
I have to really find the right time and the right mindset to do it. If I'm stressed and making pasta, nothing works out. <laughs> so. And now I see you've picked up one of the most amazing pasta extruders. So you're going to start going down the rabbit hole with that, aren't you? Well, yes. <laughs> so, so that's something that I was um, thinking about investing in for quite some time. Um, again, I thought it would be, uh, you know, something fun for family. I gift away a lot of pasta. So I had been looking at it for a while. I do have the KitchenAid attachment, the extruder, and it works if you're doing it maybe once or twice a year. Uh, but I also find even with extruded pasta, uh, the recipe that I find um, is, is not correct. Uh, in fact, I've talked to plenty of people who have run a motor, like just dead, uh, trying to get that extruder to work. So it's, it's knowing the right dough consistency, which is like a, a really a wet sand. Um, but it, but it was kind of frustrating. So I, I actually am close to Lancaster, which is where the Arco Bolano pasta factory is. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to go check it out. I've been contacting them for probably about a year, talked to one of the chefs there. And I said, I'm just going to go do it. So I, I knew I was going to just make, make the jump as soon as I got it. It's the easiest machine to work. I've given away so many like pounds of pasta to friends. I love using it. And of course, even with that, it's semolina and water, but there's also um, actually a good friend of mine, Lucy Vasterfeyer. She is on Instagram. She just put together a user manual for the home uh, model. So they, they did have a user manual, but it needed to be updated. And I can't tell you what a fantastic job she did on that. It is filled with photos and step-by-step. -step. So all the questions that someone who might never have made pasta before. Um, you, you know, I think a lot of times trying to teach someone making pasta, whether it's hand formed, egg pasta, extruded, you know, a lot of times when we talk, we assume there's some level of understanding, but when someone knows nothing, it's, you kind of have to spoon feed it. So I think the manual that she did for this one is great because I even had questions looking at it, but I was lucky enough to go there. I just drove there one day spent a morning with uh, Maya, who's one of the owners. We had so much fun. And um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's, it's great fun. They're fantastic. Uh, I, they used to be uh, up at the Star Chefs conference in New York City, which I go to every year. And they were there for five years or so. And every time they'd see me to say, what, like, is it time? Are you going to buy one of these? I've done a number of the workshops, hands-on workshops up there with chefs using it, demoing it. So I really got to know it. And then Hari, who's now there. Yes. Chef, um, good friend of mine and, you know, I, and podcast guest. So we talked a couple oh, months, okay. a couple months ago, he was on the show and was doing it from the floor of their, their kitchen there. So yeah, we talked a lot about that. If you ever get up to Rehoboth beach, his restaurants up there where he's using the machine are fantastic. So he has a whole, uh, small restaurant chain based on pasta, like mac and cheese. Like, isn't that fantastic? So what? else do you have going on? You're also doing art and uh, jewelry with the pasta as well? <laughs> yeah. So again, this was another um, baby of COVID. So um, something else I was working on. So, you know, as an attorney, you have a very limited uh, way of being creative. So for me as an attorney, and, and I always wanted to be an attorney from the time I was probably 10 years old, 
I knew I wanted to be an attorney. I don't know how I knew that. We have no attorneys in the family. Um, it was very odd because I have a twin sister and she never knew what she wanted to do until she was probably 18 or 19. And she would say, how do you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just do. So it was a very easy path for me. I, I knew what my goal was. Um, so being an attorney, you can be creative with really writing an argument, which is why I really enjoy being in the court. But simultaneous with that, even when I moved to Baltimore, I was always, even in high school, taking an art class or a clay class or some type of art that just exercised the other part of my brain. So it's always been there. Um, so I thought to myself, I wonder if I could, I had a piece of pasta one time, it was a farfalle, the butterfly shape, and it ended up on my stove. It was a patterned pasta. It got burned and it became hard. And I said, gosh, if only I could, you know, get a hole in here without shattering it and maybe like make a necklace, that would be so cool. So I started thinking about, I wonder how I could do that. So uh, again, it was one of those things where I just had to figure it out. I, I've seen a lot of pasta products on Etsy that are made of felt. So people are sewing tortellinis, things like that, or they're made of cement or something that's, uh, you know, could break uh, like a ceramic or something. So I found this product that Actually, I have a couple here where, you know, it's it's pretty flexible. So but it looks like pasta. So this I could actually make as pasta and, um, you know, just any kind of shape I can make with pasta. I, I make these keychains. I did ornaments. Um, in fact, Arco Bolano, um, when I met Maya, I had these little earrings. <laughs> she had a big poster of a Garganelli. And I said, you know, I make earrings. And she just went crazy about this pasta stuff. So they... I sent them all a whole tree's worth of ornaments, which they actually uh, put on their tree and did their Christmas card with. So um, she's been a big supporter of it. Uh, so that's how I got into doing that. <laughs> what happens when you go out in the rain? Does it turn into pasta that then <laughs> is wet? <laughs> no, I mean, they're pretty. Um, I had some people test them. I sent some out and. Uh, you know, what's nice about them is they don't break. I mean, I could drop it. It's not going to break, but it still has that flexible nature. And of course, the yellow ones are pretty much uh, very, the color is pretty true to uh, an egg-based pasta. And, you know, I have fun doing the different patterns because sometimes I just feel like doing that. So they're all in my Etsy store. I, you know, I'm surprised. I'm always sort of surprised when people are you know, buying this stuff. But um, I guess if you're really into pasta, it's kind of cool to wear a little pair of, I should have wore a little pair of my farfalle earrings or raviolis. <laughs> yeah, we love that stuff for like, you know, Christmas gifts. We were thinking this year, you know, like not only wanting to support local, but small businesses and really interesting stuff. Like who needs another standard picture or postcard that you can buy in Target right. or something, you know, like finding something really unique. So I think those are cool. And oh, uh, thank you. And we do comprehensive show notes, so that'll all be in there. So people will be able to go and buy all of your pasta jewelry, which is really cool. <laughs> do you have any other new ventures or is this enough for right now? So um, right now I'm actually talking about local. I'm actually working on a couple um, different boards with some local woodworkers uh, so those I'm in the middle of uh, prototyping with that. So um, I just I, I really was happy that people liked the original one that I did. So again, um, just with DIY experiments and seeing what people are responding to and not being able to find them. So you know I'm 
I'm, and I like doing something local. It would be fun to have something that's um, ultimately when I start doing classes, I can bring with me. And, you know, if people see a cool board that's not out of the world expensive. You know, a lot of these real true artisan tools are, are very expensive. So it's just nice to have something that's affordable, but but still is unique. They're really cool. I'm going to keep working on my pasta game. Hopefully I have some time, uh, but I would love to to work with you at some point because... Let's do it. I'm looking to improve my pasta. Who doesn't love pasta? I, I love pasta. You know, it's fun because, um, you know, the other thing I'm working on right now, and again, it's COVID dependent, is there's, you know, a couple of places and a couple of people that have reached out to me both locally and, and not locally that uh, for some reason find what I do interesting, which... You know, again, I'm I'm sort of like, why? It's it's not that hard. I can show anyone how to do it. And I find that I would be able to learn so much from them. So I'm going to be doing a couple of informal sort of internships at some cool places. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. But uh, again, you know, not doing it really for anything other than to just expand my repertoire, like you talked about you know, you do a lot of sauce work, you know, I, I don't have any training in the restaurant industry. So I was lucky enough to get an in-person internship uh, for my class requirement for my degree. And so I did it at the Country Club of Maryland up in Towson with Chef Rich Hoffman and could not have found a better place. But, you know, it's, it's sort of like you become an attorney, you graduate, you get your degree. Well, you can't really say you're an attorney because you have to learn how to be an attorney. You learn how to find the law, but I, I never really felt like I was an attorney until I probably five years into it. And it's the same, I think, with culinary school. I don't, I call myself a cook. I'm not really a chef because I could not go in and do what half those people are doing. I mean, it's crazy to me how, you know, just the time management and just everything. It was so eye-opening to me. Um, you know, I'm a home cook. I'm here. It's easy. I can, you know, do my thing. I can, uh, you know, I have my own cost control, but you go into a different setting. There's all these variables that people have to consider that I really don't have to. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, Rich is amazing. I didn't know you knew Rich. Uh, he's and he's so he's he such a good. Awesome. He's a great chef. He's a great teacher. I used to be in the American Culinary Federation in the Baltimore chapter, and at the time, Rich was okay. the president, so I got to know him. Uh, and we've done some some cool things together. Yeah, he he's great. I mean, I can't think of many better people. I mean, he was a culinary instructor. He was at Stratford yes. and, and Bic. Uh-huh. So I think you know naturally in the kitchen, he has this very teacherly mode, you know? Oh, he's, he is wonderful. I um, actually told him, I think he should go work at Anne Arundel. I think he is such a great instructor. His philosophy with food is, I love it. Everyone that works there loves him. He is, he expects, you know, a certain level of um, level of like just expertise or professionalism. He gets it. Everyone wants to please him. And, you know, I remember we were doing, um, a stolen, a Christmas stolen. I had never made it before. So, so what would happen is every week I would go in uh, and he would say, what do you want to make? Do you, do you want to make this? Do you want to make that? Of course we did pasta one day. We did dumplings because I also really enjoy making Asian dumplings. There was a lot of crossover with shaping and filling with Italian uh, filled uh, ravioli. So we were doing this stolen. And so one day I spent literally hours canning all this stuff. I mean, got it in the dehydrator, like I didn't realize how hard it was to candy something. It's not that it's difficult. It takes a lot of time, which is why people just buy it at the store. 
And so then the next day was the production and, you know, he would just give me a recipe and I'd be like, God, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to, you know, do something wrong, you know, waste your money, ingredients. I didn't have a lot of confidence because I was like, wow, I don't, I have to answer to someone here. And um, long story short, we made it. And then a week went by and I thought to myself, did I ever take that candied fruit out of the dehydrator? Well, I never had. And so, of course, I had to send him an email. I'm like, Chef Rich, I am so mortified. And he knew that I did, but he never brought it up. And he's like, Laurie, it's okay. It was still delicious. We still served it. It's fine. You'll never make that mistake again. Like, that's just how he is. So, um, actually, we had such a great time working together that I'll probably, uh, I'm hoping to go in. I, I think there's room to do like a pasta program where he is. Um, so we've talked about that and he's open to it. So, um, uh, again, I would go back and just work with him because I just think he's so smart and he's just a, one of those personalities that's great in this food industry. So, you know, if you know him. Someone I got to get on the show for sure. I mean, he's a chef without a restaurant. Well, what are some of your favorite resources to learn pasta? Like if someone today wanted to just start, where would you point them? Books, websites, YouTube channels? What are some of your favorites? So there are some books that I find are um, really good. Uh, a couple of my favorites, Mastering Pasta by Mark Vetri. I think that's a great resource. Uh, gets into a lot of detail, uh, but not overwhelming. My friend Lucy had just, she just published a book, uh, the Ultimate Pasta Machine Cookbook. Um, and that's great because it goes into a lot of things like a Capitelli machine or sheeting pasta, because there's just a lot that people don't know when it comes to that. I think any resource that will convey to you, again, the Encyclopedia of Pasta, there's not any recipes. I think that's the biggest stumbling block for people is um, plenty of times I'll be teaching someone something and they'll say, oh, I tried to make pasta. I used the two eggs and the three cups of flour. It was so wet. I threw it out. I had to start again. So the biggest message I try to convey is you really just need to use a recipe as a guide. Um, even when I'm doing like I'm teaching a class for uh, QB Cucina, who's on Instagram, I'm teaching that class on Saturday evening. And so when we were going over the show notes, I said, you know, I'm really steering clear from, you know, you can give someone a weighted measurement, but it's, it's so many different factors come into play that I think, you know, I, I'll teach it the way I teach it. So, yeah, so I think there's a few books out there that are good. Um, YouTube has plenty of videos um, I love pasta grannies, which is an account they have, you know, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they have these short four or five minute clips of, you know, women in Italy, they're trying to just sort of chronicle and preserve what they do. So they will often include recipes. And in fact, Vicki, uh, who runs that project came out with a cookbook. So the pasta granny cookbook is a huge cookbook, but it's wonderful. And I think YouTube, I mean, you can find almost anything online. So you type in how to make and Agnolati. And I mean, you'll get 20 YouTube videos. Some are good, some are not so good. But if you look at enough of them, you sort of get the idea. So I would say anyone interested in pasta should just use whatever resource they have. You don't need a lot of money. I mean, if you have an internet connection, you know, or take a local class, find someone that really loves to do it. You know, that's the thing with COVID. It, it is difficult to sort of translate. You know, I, I can look at your dough if you're holding up your dough, but I can't feel it. I can't 
you know, so that that's always a little difficult, but um, there are people that love to teach. So, um, you know, I still take classes. I take classes even during COVID. So Pasta Social Club uh, is another great Instagram account. One of the best. She shares everything, her recipes. She's the um, uh, in-house pasta person for Food 52, but she has great photos. Um, her directions are very clear. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of different resources, I think. Yeah, so much of it is tactile. The same with like bread and tortillas and anything like that. Like you're looking for the the texture, the moisture, you know, you squeeze it and what's it doing it in your hand, you know, you know, and that's right. that is really hard to just convey in just a, a recipe because I have weights for a lot of my go-to breads, tortillas, pastas, but it's not always the same. And just like learning what you want that to feel like in your hand, I think is the hardest thing to to get used to. And how to correct it, you know, I mean, and with pasta, it's pretty simple. If it's a little dry, you know, add a little water. I use a spray bottle because I find just misting it sometimes is just enough, you know, instead of pouring water in. Um, if it's a little too uh, wet, add a little bit of flour in. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's very approachable. And again, it's just finding someone who, you know, can break it down into a spoon feeding. And again, it's not because anyone's stupid. It's just because if I'm trying to, when I would try to teach someone, you know, what is a summary judgment motion in law? Well, I mean, it's Greek. So, well, this, let me tell you without using any legal words, what's happening here. And I think it's the same with pasta. So very approachable. And um, I think anyone can learn. Was there anything you want to add before we get out of here today? No, I mean, it was lovely to see you in person. I, you know, it's been fun during COVID because I've actually had some Zoom calls with people that I've met on Instagram that we've previously just been messaging. So I appreciate you having me on the show and I'd love to get together and make pasta sometime. I mean, any opportunity to do that and find people that are passionate it's, you know, I don't know too many people in this area. So, you know, Instagram is good for that because you can meet people that have these passions. But, you know, I'm trying to find like a local network of people that are really into it, that want to maybe do some unusual things. There's not, you know, there's restaurants you can go to, but I think there's so many more opportunities for people that have specific passions, uh, what they can do with it. So um, I'm always interested in, in meeting up with people who kind of share that same pasta passion as me. A big part of what I want to do is more of these pop-up collaborative dinners, which are so much fun. And we just kind of had to put that on pause, obviously, last year. But getting back into that, you know, just uh, rent an Airbnb or a cool spot and just do dinner for like a dozen or two dozen people and make some cool food. So maybe we can do another pasta one sometime soon. Sign me up. I would be I think that would be so much fun. And that's really why I like doing these events in the breweries, because it was like, it was sort of like having a, you know, a little dinner event, you know, and teaching something someone new and making it interactive. I mean, instead of just feeding people like, you know, teaching them if they want to know. So I, I miss doing that. But um, keep me in mind because I, I would be totally interested in that. Well, most definitely. And again, we'll link all of your info in the show notes so people will know where to find you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me again. You're welcome. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.